Hello, everybody. Welcome to Weekly Manga Recap. It is November the 8th of 2017. I'm Nick with Chris. We're going to talk manga today. That's what we're going to do. Every day. I mean, yeah. Every day? I... Well, every day in the theoretical, like, uh, you know, Thursday through Tuesday is the build up to Wednesday. <laughs> you know, like it's it's all about grinding out those those extra manga reps, just, you know, working hard on crunchy roll day, making sure you don't, you know, neglect any manga muscles so that you can get super manga swole in time for the podcast day. So we shut off. Sometimes you kind of slack off on Astro Day, you know, you never know when you're going to get it in that time, so. Exactly, you know, you kind of go with it as it is, but, you know, it's all about being ready for the actual show day, you know, the day before, don't drink any water, you want to kind of dehydrate yourself so that when it's time to actually do the show, you're in what physically seems to be the best shape possible, uh, and it's a hellish two hours that we record, and then afterwards, you know, you get to relax, maybe you have a, you know, a cheat day. Uh, you, you enjoy something non-manga related. It's 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 a struggle, but it's worth it. That's why we're masters of the craft. Because <laughs> we're so dedicated. To Absolutely. Us. That's why we're. Uh, I didn't look on the iTunes top 100, but I'm sure we're like we're three okay. or four. I'm absolutely like certain. <laughs> uh, before we begin, I've got a little story to tell. Go for it. It's actually kind of two stories, but uh, they're very much related. So. Um, some of you might recall uh, the <sighs> disappointing performance of my fingers when it came time for them to uh, face uh, injury uh, last year when we went out drinking. Oh, and, uh, okay. You smashed your Irish car bomb, and I was like an idiot went, ooh, what's this thing? Oh, it's a shard of glass. Oh, I'm bleeding. And then it was like healed before the bartender could even bring me a Band-Aid. <laughs> It was such a tiny he brought, cut. Was, he brought you like a stretcher. He brought you. He brought me a joke small band, and I was like, I think even that is too big. So. <laughs> okay, so a couple of weeks ago, um, I managed to break the monitor of my laptop like an idiot. Immediately uh, ordered a new one, and uh, I was like, I can replace this. And I could. Uh, it was actually not very much trouble. It took me probably about an hour's work when I had like never tr- attempted to even take this particular laptop apart before. But very early on in the process, I managed to uh, split my fingernail and a little bit of it came off. Ah. It wasn't like a bad injury, but you know, if you have if you break off you know the tip of your fingernail, it exposes the nerves underneath. So it was occasionally very painful. But I'm still going through it. And I don't have any band-aids in the in the apartment at the time, so I'm just kind of occasionally having to stop and go to the bathroom and wash the blood off of my finger so I don't get it all over the circuitry. <laughs> uh, so I was like, "All right," I put it back together, and I'm like, "All right, yeah." With that with that finger injury, I have redeemed myself. I'm 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 tough and awesome again. <laughs> you just started talking like Tim Allen from Home Improvement the rest of the day. You were so masculine and proud of yourself. <laughs> You're just like, "Good job there, Nick." <laughs> but literally like a couple of days after that i (laughs) i reached for i'm not kidding a yogurt cup and i cut my pinky finger on the aluminum lid of wow. the, a yogurt cup. Yogurt, did you? A yogurt cup. 
gave me like a paper cut. And I was like, what the, f- ow. oh, ow. Oh, that's not too bad though. It looks pretty true. Tr- oh no, I'm actually bleeding really heavily from this like, tiny hey. little cut. <laughs> You're like, 911, help me. My yogurt cup hurt me. So uh, shortly after that, I'm like, it doesn't actually. Okay, now that that now that the initial shock has passed, it doesn't actually hurt all that badly. They can't be. Tr- no, it's actually really bleeding a lot. <laughs> so I had to get a bandaid because I cut myself like on the aluminum lid of a yogurt cup. So I get it all cleaned up and I and I you know put a bandaid on it and I'm like God, whatever that'll heal really quickly. I go back into the kitchen and I start to reach for it. And I find myself kind of more cautiously reaching for it this time. And I think to myself, why am I – God, I'm being really careful when trying to pick up a cup of yogurt. And then I think, which would I prefer, that I handle a cup of yogurt carefully for three seconds or that I have to go and tell people that I cut myself on the same yogurt couplet twice? <laughs> You're like, it was – uh, you know, this injury was from from picking up the yogurt lid. My broken arm, though, came when I tried to actually – eat it it was it, it was very hard That's i went smooth, in too hard like... i slipped <laughs> doctor said i'm lucky to be alive so that's my uh embarrassing story of the week so do you think you're like going to celebrate this new level of uh tough nick with like maybe getting like a tattoo or maybe like drink drink <laughs> some liquor like straight out of the bottle I I, you're I like know. i kind of feel like I don't know if Logan i can have my like, hands now. near any needles right now i don't trust myself <laughs> like you're like I kind of feel a lot like what Hugh Jackman must have felt like filming Logan, where I'm just like, I'm grizzled and tired, but I'm not going to let the world take me down until I accomplish this one last thing, <laughs> eating this yogurt. Oh, the thing that I really don't, don't get is like, I mean, he just had those blades coming out of his fingers all the time. <laughs> <laughs> it would hurt. It would really hurt. <laughs> so you finished, you're like, wait a minute, I don't even want yogurt right now. Just put it back in the fridge, cut yourself again. Oh, why? Ah, <laughs> oh, curse you, milk carton. How could you do this to me? <laughs> no, seriously, how could you do this to me? At two, banana. <laughs> it's still somehow stabbed through your hand. Uh, at least I'll always have you, Pop-Darts. No, you fuck! You turned against me. <laughs> you, like, bite into it. It just, like, Tajiri poison missed you. <laughs> oh, why? Oh boy! Well, that's that's great to hear. <laughs> we have anything else we want to say before we, want, we just shift over to talk about manga? Because we do have some pretty big chapters to talk about. Yeah, it's quite a lot to talk about. Let's just, just jump into our series this week. I think we're I think we're good to go. So uh, we don't have My Hero Academia this week. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was a really big action climax chapter last week, so we're not getting anything until next week. So instead, we're going to kick off the recap portion of the manga recap with The Queen's Tart, chapter 238 of Food Wars, which actually gives us a uh, kind of answer to the uh, first-year alliance uh, that uh, was doing the cavalry battle in the color cover page of last chapter. This one, it's the remembering members of Central. And amusingly, Kobayashi is the one uh, that's uh, riding on the top, and uh, Momo is one of the members on the base, but she's not very happy about it. Well, I mean, I feel bad for her because Momo is so short and tiny. Like, it feels like it's an awful thing for her to have to be down there. Like, it must be kind of like tilting before yeah. the entire battle. <laughs> or uh, Sato just must be like kneel, like half kneel, like he must be doing the tilt to keep her balanced or something. I don't know. 
I mean, considering the sizes of all of them, they've like chosen basically the worst possible formation. The only way it could be worse is if they had Saito on top. <laughs> basically, yeah. All right. Uh, so last time, uh, Urara smelled the aroma of Momo's dish, and it immediately enchanted her. And now she seems like she, she's like, oh, I'm dancing around like a Disney princess in a field of flowers and birds. Whee! Um, which is shocking to all involved. Then we see Momo actually take out uh, her dish eventually. Um, and she's it looks like she's carrying a basket of flowers. And it in particular, a bunch of roses. And they're like, what? Well, why did she put all those flowers? Where's where's the food? Where's the beef? And she plates a bunch of the flowers, and everyone's like, oh, they're tarts. Apple rose tarts, which I have never heard of. But uh, I will say, like, I mean, the ridiculous presentation of this, this is kind of what I was hoping to see from Central in general uh, as they were taking on this group of rebels. Just, uh, they're the best students in the school. They should have these ridiculous dishes, uh, as opposed to I put a lot of asparagus in it. That's that was that was my that was my presentation. I dumped a shit ton of asparagus on this plate. Enjoy. It looks kind of like a big green glop. I mean, what kind of presentation is this? It's asparagus. <laughs> it's supposed to look like the hills of my homeland. Where's that? I don't know, fucking Asparagusburg. <laughs> Shut up and eat it. So the judges d- eat some of the tarts. I'm not sure how to classify this on my over-under scale, because I don't think it's enough to qualify as fan service, but it's certainly weird. Oh, what, the uh, the the male judge the, in, like, the dress? Yeah. <laughs> I don't think that's enough to fit into your criteria. I don't think so. Not when there's an actual example of it later on in the chapter. Right, right. Um, And Momo's looking kind of proper evil, although kind of like a evil cat, the way way her lips lips do the W thing that, you know, like cats do when they're drawn smiling in cartoons and stuff. The judges like it. I mean, of course they do. Um... And uh, she explains her dish because she actually used roses uh, in the dish, which is interesting. Um, I don't really know how this works. I mean, she explains that with the apples, the apples soak up the roses scent. That is why there is a sweet aroma wafting from her food. Uh, and she explains how she prepared and everything, but I, I literally am just like, okay, so she put like flower petals in the, okay. <laughs> it, a lot of this just goes in one ear and out the other for me. I don't understand cooking. I'm sorry. Well, I get the sense of like, she let the uh, apples soak up the roses scent. Like I can, I can easily grasp that. The thing that I had trouble telling exactly, I was like, did she actually put physical roses in there or did she just flavor the apple like the rose and then carve the apples up to look like roses i think that the tart itself is shaped like a rose so like the breading of it that feels impossible (laughs) how can you shape bread like that (laughs) okay 
Um, she yeah, says like, yes, you know, I mean, if there's there, you have to make sure to kind of preserve a lot of the delicate qualities of this dish, because if you just boil all of them together into a mush like a barbarian, it's hardly royal. This is an elegant and relaxed bath in rose-scented water. That is much more fitting for the Queen of Roses. If I had to give a name to my perfect new dessert, I'd call it the Queen's Apple Tart. So is she going to, like, turn, like, to the Queen of Hearts at some point, like, from Alice in Wonderland, like, start threatening to chop off people's heads? Because I'm kind of getting that vibe off of her between, you know, the Rose obsession and the Queen thing. Well, it's kind of cool that you know, when they can find, like, a gimmick for these characters, they could fit them into a kind of wide stream of things. So she definitely feels like she's meant to be all of, like, the fairy tales and things of that nature, because they, like, they have her referenced as the fairy godmother turning ordinary greens into, you know, spectacular things, and then later on we see her as, like, a puppeteer and things like that. So I could definitely see her fitting into, like, a queen of hearts sort of thing. Probably my favorite part of the whole thing is just a little throwaway gag where she explains, like, the basket's made of braided bread, so you can eat it, too. An edible bread basket. Isn't it just so cute? I think it's super cute. <laughs> She's, like, so pleased with this. Like, look, I made a basket out of bread. <laughs> <laughs> it would be great if, like, the judge was just like, I'm not eating the basket. <laughs> is there apple fuck in it? You. Do I have to? No, fuck you. I'm not eating the basket, then. <laughs> so, yes, um... There is an imagined sequence where she is a fairy godmother turning, you know, Cinderella into like a beautiful princess of, of food. Uh, I love the expression that she has in these fancy sequences where she's going like, yeah. Ah, oh, you're better now. You're <laughs> now, <good>. you're <laughs> now you're cute. Now you're cute. Yeah, fucking housewife anymore. You're a fucking pretty princess or whatever. And now, after enchanting her ingredients into food, she enchants the judges, who turn into kind of Tinkerbells, basically. Yes. Is this is this this, this is this this, this, fit, this fits your fan service? Mm. I mean, the two male characters are in tiny Jingle Bell fucking tutus and elf boots and nothing else, and the female lead is in a tiny Tinkerbell outfit, and I believe being controlled. Oh no, those are just wings. I thought she was on strings as well, but I I think that fits into it. Yeah, yeah, I mean, look at the two male judges' faces and tell me that. It's, uh, yeah, like there, there, there's something there at least. I don't know it's kind of, it's kind of weird because there's like the bits where it's like not particularly lewd, and then there are the bits that it's weird, and so you know whatever. I think that we'll count it as at least a half. So all right, for this bet that brings up nobody. <laughs> That brings up uh, Megami. Uh, you know, she is thinking to herself that because it's about time for her to present her dish, that she has to do everything that she has has put her in this position. Uh, the teamwork that someone took me have offered her, her training, and of course, everything I've learned from Coach Shinomiya. This shit is fantastic. <laughs> so remember that uh, Megami's big training with Shinomiya had her. Uh, considering him like a coach from her favorite table tennis manga. This has morphed into him being her second in a mixed martial arts fight, where she transforms into a fighter wearing a tank top, shorts, and has her fist taped up. Interesting. <laughs> so yeah, it was it was the whole shoujo thing going on because you still see that with Shinomiya's face, at least in that first panel, where he's definitely drawn very bishonen. 
and uh, you know has that guy attitude. But I love like him being like, "Go get her, ti- go get him, Tiger." The match is about to start, and then she's out there. She's got yeah, her taped up fucking fist. She's in like boxing trunks, and it's in a boxing ring of some sort. You're just like, "Gotta punch right through." You're just like, "What the fuck is that? like?" I love the juxtaposition here because Megumi has always been like the cutesy, naive character, and like they're going to get someone who's. Yeah, she's going to get someone who's just, I guess, because she looks like she's eight years old, just is too cute for that. So they're like, we'll just go to the extreme. Making me, you're like Rocky now. And <laughs> you're going out there, she's just like, alright, let's do this then, mama. I'm gonna punch your fucking rose tots out of your fucking dick now. <laughs> what? I love it though. I love how ridiculous that shot is of fucking Megumi with her fists up, taped up, and just talking about punching through things. It is great. Yeah, it was quite a bit of a jarring uh, image because of what we've seen of her thus far in this entire arc. Um, she has had her moments, but not in a while where she gets to look like this. Yeah, and I, I just, in my mind, I'm already hearing, like, you know when they announced um, Little Mac was going to Smash Brothers? Mm-hmm. I, I, that music immediately started playing when she started doing this, like, do-do-do-do-do. And I imagine just because just because they're all of her training with Shinomiya, Shinomiya is riding a bike while she runs through the streets of New York. How did we even get here? <laughs> She's gotten a lot fatter too. He's just like, I don't care. Just keep running. I need to eat more donuts. <laughs> <laughs> In fact, we bite into a chocolate bar. <laughs> I, I love the end of this chapter. I mean, I, I think I agree with you completely that uh, Momo's dish itself really kind of won me over with how cool and actually like elegant it seemed it really did feel like a dish worthy of like that central name and everything um and feels like something that i'm like i could see why this would be on that caliber of like a dish that's impossible to beat but i'm super excited to see what happens with megami from here i i like i'm worried that there's a part of me that's gonna be like oh she just didn't didn't work out for her or something like that but i, I want her so badly to win this get, to win this match and have something crazy cool happen um, I, I guess I'm mostly just excited to see what kind of crazy universe, like, the judges get put into when they taste her dish next week. They're like, it's like she just punched us out with flavor! And she's just, <laughs> like, knocking out the judges one by one, putting them in the cobra clutches. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's how they get the fan service, so they imagine just being put into weird wrestling holds while yeah. naked. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously. There's nothing sexual about wrestling. What are you talking about? Nothing. <laughs> Nothing's so well right about this. Yeah. All right, then let's go ahead to Astra, Lost in Space. I haven't had a chapter of this in a while. I'm glad we have it back. Mm-hmm. So For last time... a very significant chapter. Nothing really no, happens. No, nothing important happens. Nothing at all. Uh, they're all just standing around still talking by the end of it, very calmly. And... uh Magic will be done discussing this in about 20 seconds, so don't worry. So last time, Charles had told everyone uh, his history with Princess Seira, the original that Ares was cloned from, and he explained why uh, he was planning to take her back now and why his mission had changed as a result of his recognizing her. Uh we just get a little bit of kind of a recap of this, like, you know, hey, yeah, so Ares, uh, I remembered that Sarah said she told me she came up with your name by reversing hers. Yeah, we we got that. I don't know why they had to, like, this is like the third time. It's just like, guys, 
Sierra spelled backwards is airy. Like, I, I get it. It was <laughs> they're like, but the physical body is over here, but then the spiritual actology is over <laughs> here. I got it. <laughs> Thanks, uh, Moosey or whoever the fuck gave that explanation. Urza probably. <laughs> so, uh, Charles reiterates that Sarah is your biological mother. An egg with a genetic profile was implanted in Emma's womb when you were born. I suspect the king must have ordered her to be a surrogate and had her temporarily removed from Sarah's service while she was pregnant. Sarah mentioned that Emma had strong maternal feelings towards the baby, and I'm sure you know how true that was better than anyone. And, of course, Ares has memories of her mother and, their, and basically her wonderful childhood with her. And she has a big emotional moment because she realizes, like, I guess she kind of, like, lets go of that fear that she was keeping hidden. Because, uh, I mean, she said that she knew that her mother loved her. But there's only so much you can hear about the horrible shit that all the other kids' parents put them through before. <laughs> um, so... Kanata confronts uh, Charles about his scheme... He says, all right, so you're planning on taking Ares home, but what, is, what are you going to do after that? And Charis says, like, well, I'm going to present you to the king. He thinks that Sarah's clone is dead, and if I present her to him, he will be pleased. And it will be like his lost daughter has risen from the dead. Uh, so everyone kind of just brings up, all right, but uh, I don't know. How the hell did she end up getting assigned to our group? That, that's the concern that Zach has. How did Ares end up getting assigned to our group? Because we're all clones and stuff. How did she also end up here? And Char says, eh, it's probably the work of the group that assassinated Sarah. They probably spent all these years tracking Emma down and monitoring her. And once the Genome Control Act passed, they must have bribed Olgar's father to have Ares transferred into group B5. If it was discovered that Ares is genetically identical to Sarah, it is possible that she would be placed in Sarah's place in line for the throne, which they wouldn't want. So, makes sense, although he is purely speculating at this point. Um, and he's, you know, says like, yeah, so I'm going to bring Ares back. She's going to essentially serve as the princess and I'm going to take her home and make sure of that. And Kanata is like, you motherfucker. <laughs> I don't think he uses that word exactly, but yeah. But he's, he's said, like, he's you said, goddamn rat fuck son of a bitch. <laughs> like, why is he got harsh old son? And I think that he shatters the remote that he's uh, that he confiscated from from Charles because there you there's big cracking sounds and you see him clenching his fist around it. Um, but he just shouts at Charles like Ares is Ares and and she's not Sarah. And Charles is like, you don't understand. The king would be like, shut the fuck up. Stop talking about the king. And just goes on this long rant against Charles. And says that, hey, you had your own emotions during this whole thing. So think for yourself for a second. You know, what are you going to do after you take Ares back home with you? You are the king's clone. They would just find some way to dispose of you. And Charles just says, whatever. I'll just go kill myself anyway. I'll throw myself into the depths of space. I'll fulfill my purpose. And kind of punches him. Yay! Punches. And Kanata says, look, I know that after being locked up inside of that prison for your whole life, I saw how happy you were to be out exploring with this. I know that that happiness was not fake. 
So come on, let's go explore the, the universe together. We don't even know the first thing about our own world, apparently. And all the others start to chip in and say, come on, you just do this. You know, let's, let's all leave together. Let's, let's go home together and we'll help each other out. We'll just stick with this plan that we've come up with. And Charlie says, no, I can't do this. I can't change the way that you want me to. And, uh, Lin, was it Lin Hua? I forget her name. God damn it. I'm never going to remember this one. Singer girl says, I'm so sorry. I was, I was doing so well with all these characters, but then she came and I was like, God damn it. I remember like everyone else except for her. <laughs> uh, and she says, I changed. You could change. If I could change, you could change. All of us could change. You shouldn't say it like that. But that is essentially the sentiment that everyone, uh, says and they're all joined together in saying that to Charles and Charles Finally has a big emotional breakdown. Yunhua, thank you. Thank you, Annalise. And, uh, Char says, I know I've been on this trip from the beginning too, you know, but I just can't help it anymore. And there's big full page spread of him just kind of letting all the emotions finally out, all the ones that he's been hiding this whole time. Because yes, he feels the way that they've been saying he feels, but he is still determined and he holds up his left hand and hand and says, Hey, you know, the remote from the orb. Yeah. I kept uh, the remote in my left, in the left cuff of my crust suit so that I had it handy, but hidden at all times. And I kept a spare in my right. And so he takes out another remote. Everyone freaks out. Kanata tells them all to get away and an orb appears between the group and charts. And uh, they can't really do anything at this point. Olgar takes his gun out, but he can't get a clear shot because the orb is in the way. And uh, so Kanata's like, it's all right. It's OK. Uh, I've got Ar- we've got Ares over here, so he's not going to use it to come after us because he wants to save her. So it's fine. Um, and Olgar's like, well, then why the hell did he summon the orb? And Kanata knows immediately what the hell is going on. He says, I know what you're thinking. We're friends, after all. And the orb doesn't go towards the group. It just kind of stays there. And Kanata says, Charles is trying to kill himself. So, and, he, and of course, Charles has his big, I'm sorry, everyone. I do like all of you. And, of course, Kanata's like, nope. <laughs> Breaks off at a full run. And everyone's like, what the hell is he doing? <laughs> And Kanata says, I figured you'd try this from the start. I can read you like a book, you know. And Ares has a big kind of romantic interest moment where she's like, Kanata, you're always running, aren't you? Fearlessly, straight ahead at whatever life throws at you, you have since the moment we met. And then he dies. That'd be great if one of the images was like him running and stealing the last pizza pizza from in front of hers. (laughs) She's like, many of those times were admirable. That time you were a real chicken shit, though. (laughs) Running bow-legged towards the bathroom. (laughs) Shut your... (laughs) (laughs) I'm going in first. (laughs) I just have to fix my hair, you bastard. But Kanata does his trademark boost jump uh signature leap thing jumps over the wormhole and he even calls it like his finishing move thing 
these ultimate dive bomber and cr- tackles Charis and uh, t- and pulls him away from the orb as it's coming towards them. And uh, at that moment, because Charis and Kanata are right next to each other, the orb is still coming towards Charis. And Kanata, meathead that he is, is like, you stay away from us, damn orb! And sticks his hand into it. And his arms are just getting pulled in and sucking him in, so Charis instinctively turns the orb off. And the orb disappears and takes Hinata's arm with it. Oh my! <laughs> that is a really shocking image right there. <laughs> this is just his arm getting stretched out in one panel and then just a big full body shot and he's clutching his elbow stump. I'll be fine. I'm sure it will be revealed that one of the members there was temporarily part of the fourth squad and they know Rietsu, so they'll just fix it up. <laughs> It's okay. I interned with the fourth. Walk it off. Walk it off. I interned with the fourth division for a weekend once. I know how to heal injuries like this. Um, and then we get this big two-page spread of just Kanata's arm floating through fucking space. It's a rather beautiful image, actually. (laughs) Very serene. I wonder if that arm's going to play a huge part in something. Like, if like someone finds the arm and they're like, he's out there. Okay, the Death Star emerges like, now we will find whoever the denizens of Earth have gone. Hey, wait a minute. Is that an arm out there? No, it's going into the vending duct. <laughs> oh, why didn't we put something over that duct? <laughs> wait a minute. Is it going towards the self-destruct button that we've got randomly hanging on the side of the building? No! <laughs> Kanata, um, of course, is um, not doing so great because his arm is gone. He's fine. Um, Kiteri quickly applies a tourniquet to his stump, and Charis is immediately just Im- incredibly apologetic. And uh, kind of says, hey, you know, when we get home, you better take responsibility for this. You're going to stay by my side and help me. You got it. Listen, I'm going to have my own ship someday. And you'd already said you'd join up, right? So now you're my new right hand. Being bizarrely understanding for a man who just lost a lot of blood. <laughs> He's like, and is probably suffering from shock. <laughs> I'm going to go fucking bonkers in a moment. I had one heartfelt speech left to me. It's all gibberish from now on. Banana bobble! They just screaming at him. Are you like, questioning my commands? Do you remember what I did for you? I am the captain of the SS Pintafold, and you will respect my command, you scallywag. Two. He's like, yeah. Um, let's just put him out for a little bit. Let's. Uh, the scene's getting significantly less heartwarming as he goes on. Oh boy. This is a very big chapter, though. Uh, it's a very good chapter. I mean, you got a ton of emotion out of it. We have everything with Charles and and his sort of, like, complete breakdown. Everything that he had left, you know, emotionally is just laid out on the table. You know, you get these sweet sentiments from all the other characters. It really does feel like a, a, a you know, cumulative buildup of what has happened throughout their adventure. All these characters who have changed and how they, they want to all become and continue to be the good people they've changed into – and they don't want to see Charles go, even though he's he's shown himself to be, you know, the saboteur in their midst. They they all kind of want him to continue on with the group. They all have seen him as a friend. So, 
you know, it's a very emotional chapter. You got a great moment from Kanata, you know, leaping over that. I love the, the parallels to that in the, the first scene. So it's, it's all extremely just well done, very emotionally satisfying, cool, and, uh, kind of complete. Mm. And plus now Kanata can be, can get a hook hand to be a proper captain. Mm. He'll be like Aquaman. <sighs> I feel like you left me hanging on that. I feel like I look like a big asshole now that I made an Aquaman reference. Mm-hmm. All right. I see how this game goes. That is the best Aquaman. I mean, <laughs> let's be real, though. Hook <laughs> hand Aquaman. Uh, really like the chapter. Um, I was honestly taken completely aback by it uh, when I first read it. Uh, I mean, his arm is missing. I'm like, oh, shit. Because <laughs> you don't, like... As much as these guys have been through so much, nothing bad has happened to them up until this point, really. They've always managed to get out of things unscathed after just, you know, a little bit of emotional maturation. And, uh, yeah, I get the feeling that there ain't no breaking this group up any from this point on. <laughs> One of them will have second thoughts and guy will be like, hey, hey, you, <laughs> get back in line. <laughs> They're like we gotta, you gotta put something at the end of that, man. It's so weird. Like, <laughs> no, I refuse. You refuse to act as though there's not something at the end of it. So put something at the end of it. I never. <laughs> okay. Let's uh, move on then to God. <laughs> <laughs> the deflation of Nick in that moment. Oh, we're come on. About full drive next. <laughs> I read it, but I don't remember anything about it. <laughs> so it's chapter three, Dan versus Atsushi. He has a table tennis game with Atsushi, the weird blonde guy from before. And there's, I don't get the joke at the beginning where Dan's like kind of lazy when he shakes his hand at the start of the match. They're really, and freaking Marin gets really upset with him. Like, why are you being so vacant with that handshake? I was like, I don't know. What, what, what is he doing? Like, he, I guess they're trying to say he just doesn't have a very forceful personality and he just doesn't, like, it's just kind of, like, natural for him to give, like, a milksop kind of, like, handshake greeting to people. I'm not entirely certain, but that's that's the best gist I'm able to kind of grab from it. So they have a match. And Atsushi uses... I forget this was a whole thing. He uses the Chiquita. Yes, the banana. That is exactly what it is. I literally saw the name of the technique when I read this. I was like, what, like the banana? Yes, actually. <laughs> it is specifically named after Chiquita bananas. <laughs> because it curves powerfully like a banana. <laughs> That feels weird. It feels like that, cause Chiquita's a brand. Like, Chiquita's aren't a type of banana, are they? It's like a, a brand of banana. I think so. So it feels weird to like brand, it'd be like, it's the Kleenex shot. Instead of like, <laughs> it's the facial tissue shot or whatever. 
So, Marin is like, his Chiquita technique is top tier internationally. And Dan's just like, well, I have my own super bendy my body return. Uh, and they're kind of trash talking during the match. And it kind of does that Prince of Tennis thing where you just kind of see their cool return strokes and then people just talk over it to tell you how the match is going. Cause she's, cause Dan kind of goes, Hua! and Mary goes, Dan's taking control. I mean, if you fucking say so, <laughs> I guess I vaguely know the rules of table tennis. Do you want to, like, convey that through facial expressions? No? Okay. <laughs> and, like, the thing that Atsushi realizes is Dan puts a crap ton of spin on all of his drives with the loops and high spin drives, and he doesn't have physique or reach. He does have a weapon spin. And Marin says, he may be a shrimp in a space case, but on the ping pong table, he has sharp fangs that allow him to fight opponents bigger than himself. Sorry, I, I, I never like to degrade sports. I, I know that many of them... I are, want to like it! <laughs> there, there are depths to their, their their actual strategy, the likes of which that once you start to understand, you can appreciate that sport a whole lot more. But I think you have to, for this sport, call it table tennis, because when you say... But on the ping pong table, he's got real sharp fangs like a shark. It's like, no, come on, man. You're like, this dude, he's a complete bitch. But you get him a ping pong table and he will destroy you. I'm like, you gotta help me here. It's like, the, it's like Christopher Walken in Balls of Fury. Because he's like, ping pong. Or as the Chinese would call it, ping pong. <laughs> It's a weird fucking movie. <laughs> uh, you know, because this is, you know, sort of the grand scope of the chapter. They have this fight, and then ultimately Don wins by giving, like, a counterattack of some kind. And, a rising counter. And it's, you know, it's it's this big twist of, like, hey, he's a strong character. And this is the end of the jumpstart as we're going to know it. You know, uh, if this gets picked up, then yeah, sure, we might get more, but there's a very good chance I think we won't be seeing any more of Full Drive. I forgot the name of the series for a moment. I want to call it Agahado Tennis again. And, uh, you know, I, I don't think that uh, Full Drive is necessarily like a bad series or anything like that. I don't think this manga is bad at, at telling a story. I just think the main issue has kind of been that, like, the character of Don himself isn't a particularly like, interesting protagonist. And... The series is just relying a little too much, I guess, on you already having some level of investment in table tennis as it is. Because, like, the beats themselves make sense. Like, yeah, portraying Don as this, you know, underdog who doesn't seem like much when you first meet him. But when he gets into the field, when he gets into his sport, you see that he has these fangs like a wolf. You'll take anyone down, anyone bigger than himself. But, you know, it's like a hard sentiment to really express that in a sport where it looks like his opponent's maybe like three inches taller and maybe got 20 pounds. Like, it's not like this is a dude going up against somebody who's like a Goliath towering over him like some big muscle head. It's like, yeah, no, this seems like a very viable matchup between two table tennis players, I guess. It's just hard to buy into everything. <laughs> there is a filler episode of the Prince of Tennis called the Prince of Table Tennis 
Okay. Where Echizen, uh, is confronted by the ace of Sigaku's table tennis club. Who I think is, I think the premise is he's like trying to impress Sakano or something like that. And so he challenges Edges into a table tennis match somehow. And it's really easy to get Edges into agree to challenges because his ego is bigger than his fucking head. So, um, so they start to have this table tennis match. And of course the table tennis guy is kicking Edges' ass at first because of his sport. But eventually Edges is just like, I need to stop playing table tennis and play tennis. And he, because you can, you know, hold a table tennis paddle, like, I think you're supposed to hold it something like this, or something like that. I don't know exactly, but you can hold it a couple of different ways. And so Edgeson just, you know, switches to holding it like he would hold a tennis racket. Now, if your sport is tennis, and someone hands you what is essentially a tiny tennis racket... Why would you not hold it like a tennis racket to begin with? Because <laughs> as soon as he does that, he starts winning. And he uses all of his, like, t- his t- tennis techniques, which work exactly the same way, somehow. <laughs> He's like, but, when you get right down to it, the size of the ball, the shape of the ball, the weight of the ball, the weight of the racket, the size of the field, none of that matters. <laughs> I'm just great at this sport, too. Because <laughs> he starts playing, like, basketball. He's like, if I just started thinking of it like tennis, this is so There's easy. a chapter like that in Rits <laughs> of Tennis where he beats a guy at basketball using, like, trash and, a, and like, a broom, like a tennis racket. <laughs> and he beats the guy at, like, a free throw match or something like that. And it's like, yeah, but he's using a smaller thing to hit it through the hoop. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but that is just better. Fuck off! I'm sorry. Ah, <laughs> uh, in order, okay, full drive. I I don't like it, but honestly, I've got like no emotion or attachment towards it. It's a completely different issue that I have with the Prince of Tennis, where I got invested in, it and then I was like, this is the worst thing ever. This one, I just, I just don't care. And I think a big part of that is like it's trying to build on as this underdog kind of character. And yet we've seen him beat every challenge he's faced and beat every opponent he's faced so far. So, okay. Yeah. And there's not even a point during the flow of the match where it looks like he's completely outmatched. He's just kind of evenly matched with both people that we've seen him face. So, I guess the idea is supposed to be that it's like he is this descend, like this inheritor of an old style of table tennis going up against a new world of table tennis, but it's really hard to like see that premise actually carry through. <sighs> and to give yeah. fuck. It's, it's ping pong. I'm sorry. Ping pong. All right. Uh, then we've got chapter two of Gollum Hearts Visitor. Okay, so recently someone uh, sent me a little tweet that said, you were wrong about Gollum Hearts. No, it wasn't. I was completely correct. (laughs) I called this last week. I said it would happen. (laughs) They were saying that you, you were specifically wrong in saying that like the one of the two characters would die. 
Yes. Well, no, no, they didn't say that. He just said, I, you were wrong about, about Gollum Hearts. Maybe they were referring to when the female character would show up, but I called that the dad would die. <laughs> Spoilers. <laughs> Spoilers for something we're about to talk about in we're about to talk about. 10 minutes. Yes, the continuing, definitely not over here adventures of Noah and Lemmick. <laughs> I guess it's possible Lemmick's not actually dead. I guess it's possible. He's not dead at the end of the chapter, from what it seems like. Uh, so after uh, Noah stopped the kidnapper uh, at the end of the last chapter, he and Lemmick are now basically treated like heroes by the town. Uh, and even though Noah screws up because he tries to, you know, practice some arcanist stuff and uh, help out a chef, and instead of accelerating it, he causes it to grow and break the ceiling. And the cook scolds him for a little bit, and he's like, "Hey, stop, stop, stop! Just relax, take your time, okay? I appreciate you trying to help." So I, I do like that. It's a nice way to show that he he still got the same problems, but the town's definitely reacted to him in a much different way. And this one's a lot more beneficial to trying to actually help him out. Yeah. And uh, so. We see um, Noah gets a few tasty treats. He, he keeps calling them tasty treats. That's, that's I guess, what they are. I mean, tasty they, treat brand, tasty treats. They look like fucking tomatoes, which, if you're just eating those raw, I'm like, there's nothing tasty nor a treat about this. <laughs> <laughs> this is a punishment. Uh, so he had some in order to share, to share his tasty treat with Lemmick. And we see a uh, random soldier who looks like he's straight out of Red Sprite, actually, with the white with the uh, white uniform, um, talking with a cloaked figure. And uh, so he orders a bunch some um, of those skunk mushrooms. That yeah, you know, when do you call something a skunk mushroom? Like, who is gonna order that off of a menu? Honestly, apparently they're a delicacy, though. So <laughs> this might be a world. Maybe this like that's like a joke of the world that like the like food is goofy and weird. So it's like, yeah, skunk mushrooms are delicious. Someone's like, ew, did you have to have some pizza today? He's like, yeah, it was so revolting and gross. I'm so I hated every moment of it. So the military guy orders 10 servings of skunk mushrooms. And uh, the chef's like, ha, a feast like that might keep you from your job even longer. And the soldier says, be that as it may. I never miss a chance to indulge myself. I've never been one to control my desires. Ooh. <laughs> well, that sounds odd and horrifying. I'm going to pretend I didn't hear that. Just run back into this kitchen. <laughs> and uh, before we c- we cut away from the scene, because the, the military guy leaves, uh, so we see someone else order. And they're like, I'll have the foil roasted rust- skunk mushrooms. 50 servings. Get away from that. Um, Lemmick is continuing to struggle with uh, his Gollum Arts stuff. Uh, there's a little Gollum that he made that makes coffee and by puking it into a cup. I love that Gollum. I want that to be a trial. He's like, one cup of coffee, sir. Sure thing. And you just have to be like, thanks, Gollum. Like, I know he's like, ew, it's gross, but I feel like that's only because he's supposed to be, like, bad at everything he creates. I hope that the good 
like like talented arc uh, arcanists or whatever can actually make that like fucking golem work and it's just like that is just how people get coffee in this world is a little tiny golem just spits it out of its mouth or like a more consistent arcanist comes by no 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 you made it all wrong here let me show you how the golem's supposed to go (laughs) (laughs) here doesn't that taste so much better (laughs) he's like i guess it does Uh, Noah reiterates his whole, I'm going to be the second best arcanist in the world, so that means you're the best and super awesome. But all of a sudden, a giant golem appears and snatches him up. And uh, it's the military guy there with a huge-ass golem. And Noah doesn't seem to be too concerned with being grabbed, as Captain Garbo introduces himself. But he is very concerned with the fact that he dropped his tasty treat. It's a fucking tomato. <laughs> It doesn't have the consistency of a tomato, though. Like, you can see his, like, bite chunks taken out of it when it's on the ground. Well, you know what it reminds me of? It reminds me of the tomaco from The Simpsons, where it was a tomato on the outside and tobacco on the inside. And that's what it looked like when people bit into it. It was just, like, it still had, like, the outside skin of a tomato, but the inside was, like, this solid texture. Ugh. So, Lemmick tries to handle things peacefully at first. Like, hey, what brings you here, Captain? And... Guy was like, oh, uh, I'm going to test something out because I've heard something about this kid of yours. And he just takes a knife out and slashes it over Noah's head. And the tip breaks off because he's a golem. He's like, oh, good. Perfect. And Noah's like, what if he hadn't been a golem? What the hell? And Garbo says, eh, I would have been sorely disappointed. Okay, then. <laughs> Dick. So, uh... Lemmick suddenly realizes that the cloaked figure is with Garbo, and the cloaked figure is actually the kidnapper from before. And so, presumably, he found out someone who would pay him for information and ratted him out. Said, hey, there's this very human-looking golem over here. It's really powerful. So, Garbo tries to handle things peacefully at first. Uh, and says, yeah, I want to have this golem. And, uh, of course, both Noah and Lubbock are like, no, you can't separate us. And so Garbo's like, okay, well, hey, if you created this golem, so you could create golem weaponry uh, for us. So join us and, uh, you know, become an arcanist for the army. And Lubbock says, no, give, give Noah back. And Garbo's like, all right. And his golem shoots like a laser, like a repulsor blast from its palm and blows up their house. Yay! And I love Garbo's reasoning for this because he's just like, well, you don't have a home here anymore, so maybe you should enlist. <laughs> so you can have It's a great response of like, we have a home here. Now you don't! Join the military! <laughs> Lemmick almost loses it, but he kind of takes a breath and laughs it off. It's like, oh, well, I do like camping, so maybe you've done me a favor. Come on, we'll just, you know, camp out for the rest of our lives. You know, give me Noah back. Of course, Garbo is still not going to do this thing, so he just says, fine, if you're going to play things that way, then we don't have any need for you. So I'm taking Noah. Bye. Lemmick, of course, says, no, Noah is my family, and I won't let you do this. And he rushes forward and tries to use his Arcanist abilities to, I guess, uh, depower Garbo's Golem by casting Golem Art Zero on it. Uh, Lemmick thinks that his art has failed once again, but Garbo just says, no, 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 it's it's equipped with the Golem Art Padlock, so only its creator can make modifications, so you can't do anything against it. Anyway, 
die. And the golem punches him and sends him crashing through the debris of the house. Noah starts to freak out. He smashes the hand that's uh, grabbing him and rushes over to Lemek. And he says, hey, are you okay? And Lemek's got a giant wooden plank sticking through his abdomen. Oh, my. Uh, yeah, and, it's, uh, uh, it's, it's, uh, pretty, it's one of those, like, like, he's fucked up, alright? Like, we didn't want to make it too graphic, cause this is like a series of children. We wanted to make sure you know he is dying. <laughs> he's definitely going to die if something doesn't happen drastically. And, uh, Noah kind of goes into shock and denial, uh, at first. Uh, he's like, hey, come on, you know, we're gonna, we're gonna stay in the village forever, master. He's like, look, I know, I'll use resurrection to patch up your injuries. You know, I failed every time, but to, up to now, but I think I can do it. I, I, I made a ton of progress with my lessons and stuff. And oh, he just says, I'm sorry, Noah. I said we will work at it together, but it looks like I'm done for. But even on your own, I know you'll become a great arcanist. Just like you said, the best arcanist this world's ever seen. No mistake. And he tells him one last time to run away and keep himself safe. Garbo's like, oh well. (laughs) (laughs) Bye. Go grab the, go grab the golem. And there is a flash of light and, uh, Noah is equipped with the golem. Our paladin once again has slashed his sword, cut the golem in half and also cut into Garbo on the other side of the golem. And uh, he demands that they all leave. The kidnapper grabs Garbo and hauls ass. And immediately Noah is back to talking to his probably dying master, saying, oh, you're helping me. We're going to learn. We're going to work hard together. And he collapses. We cut back to outside of the restaurant where we saw that mysterious hidden figure before and see that it's revealed to be the girl from the uh, uh, debut chapter's uh, colors pages. And she's like, ah, 50 servings couldn't, fi- couldn't fill me up. All right, then. So because she's a big eater, that's one of her things. But she spots that there is a commotion around the remnants of Noah and Remick's house. And uh, sit and says, huh, what's going on over here? Is there some kind of brawl going on? Of course, everyone who's like in the circle is like, come on, Lemek, don't die, please. <laughs> oh, like, oh, it's so awful. He's dying. She's like, oh, and what exciting commotion is going on over there. I've been just leaving it aside. I'm going to go check it out. <laughs> yeah, fwang, my toothpick is fucking moving independent of itself. Maybe I can punch people. <laughs> uh... Yeah, I like this chapter. I, I it, it took me a bit to realize why this uh why Lemic uh hits a nerve with me as much as he does. And it is cuz he reminds me of Dr. Riddles from Zatch Bell. Like he feels mm. like he fits that aesthetically and a little bit personality-wise too, and that's also a story about like an older kind of wacky guy who has taken on this young boy as kind of like his adoptive son/partner and then has to lose him. In, like, a pretty devastating way. Obviously, the person who loses out here is is different in this scenario, but 
Uh, spoilers for Zatch Bell. Kiddo doesn't win the whole fucking tournament, in case you cared. Uh, but yeah. Oh, like, no! <laughs> oddly enough, his name isn't in the fucking series, so he's not one of the last characters around. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, like I, I really, I really, uh, you know, kind of realized where that comes in and gets that, that, uh, resemblance. And I, I like the story they're telling here is, again, this is a series that feels very emotionally earnest and, uh, hits in that way that's, that's pretty powerful. Uh, it's, it's teasing out little bits here and there. We now have like a shot of the actual military. There's this notion of padlocking things. Um, it, it's a very, you know, well done chapter. Um, this new character hasn't, really hit me so well but we only know literally like two things about her and that's that she eats a lot and that she's walking towards the commotion so maybe next week they reveal a lot more about her um but yeah i like this chapter a lot um i shielded myself emotionally from the outside of the series so okay it's fine (laughs) but uh it was definitely a big emotional moment to uh see you know this that scene happen i think i was think i was kind of expecting it to go on a little bit longer before they reached this point uh i am not 100% certain if lemica is dead or not uh, i'm pretty high up there but he's not dead from what i can tell from what i can gather at the very end of the chapter if they're actually talking to him uh, unless everyone in the town is just like, what? You have to be drawing breath to be alive? <laughs> oh, okay. I guess he is dead. Oh, I guess I should stop giving him CPR then. <laughs> uh, but uh, I'm interested to see where this goes and uh, see what this new character is about, too. Indeed. All right. Uh, so from there, we're going to go on to Dr. Stoon. What time is it, Chris? It's time to get stoned with stone. It's uh, Z equals 34, sneaky grand bout strategy. Uh, it's time for the tournament um, in order to decide the chief of Kahaku's village. And uh, last time we got uh, Ruri seemingly recognizing Senku's name. And uh, this, it's the uh, top of this chapter. She approaches him and she asks something that is actually interesting that I don't think has actually come up. What are all these characters last names? <laughs> we know a couple of them, like uh, Sukasa. Uh, we know his last name, but I don't think we know Taiju's name even for that matter. Because I feel like we do. I think they introduced those early on. I feel like we got those. I think the key to this one here is that. The vi- no one in the village has last names. That's not something mm-hmm. the village really has. Let me double so, check this. I want to see if I it's did. possible they may not. I thought they would have given them for them. I just don't remember them because they don't get brought up very frequently. Um, but Sweet. yeah, she she asks what his last name is, and the implication of that being, obviously, she knows at least somebody or is hardly somebody with Senku's family line and who's maybe mentioned named Senku. Taiju's last name has been mentioned. It doesn't look as though Yuzuri has has been, though. I mean, the the implication to me to this is that maybe she's met, like, maybe Senku's father has also made it to the Stone World. Something like that. Well, he's the only family member of Senku's that we actually know of at this point. Mm -hmm. Um, They could easily be like, oh, no, it's his mom, or, oh, it's like a family member that just hasn't been mentioned to this point. But the dad's the only one we know of. Um, and I think that'd be a pretty crazy, interesting thing to find out is like, oh, Senku's dad, 
who we found out was like a pretty cool dad, like, you know, gave his son every opportunity he could to, you know, exceed and excel in the way he did. Did he make it to the stone world as well? And what's happened to him since then? I think that'd be a really cool relationship to dig into. I'm, I'm actually really intrigued to see if that is what happened, because I've, I've, I'm really curious to see what Inagaki does with a like a father son relationship. That was like an undercurrent of Ice Shield Twenty One that never really got its full follow up on. Like the closure to it was like, "Hey, are you Haruma's dad here at this one game? Maybe." And then like that's it. <laughs> so it'd be really cool to actually see if like this is an actual element, but we don't actually find out if any of this is the case or not because it's me. Like I'm too sick to talk anymore. <laughs> Wensleydale in the chat says that he's the son of Ishimaru from Aishul 21. <laughs> How great would that be? Like, the last hope for humanity is, like, the, the most forgettable person in the world. They're like, we believe he died years ago. Still here. You guys just <laughs> stop paying attention to me. Uh, so, Ruri asks Senku what his last name is. And, uh, Senku, and she actually starts to explain what a, what a family name is. And Senku's like, yeah, I, I, I know what it is, but he's confused because, because she, she's like, well, last names aren't part of the village's culture. So why is she so interested? And Rui says, is it Ishii? And then she suddenly has a coughing fit and collapses. But by the look of things, by the way that Senku is reacting, it seems as though she is on the right track because he has a reaction to what she's saying. Uh, but before, you know, they can actually follow up on this, all the villagers are like, stay away from the shamanists! <laughs> so, that's something that will have to, uh, be picked up on later. But, eh, nice little tease. Uh, so, Zink is like, alright, well, I've got some questions to ask you, so once Kinro wins and marries you, we're gonna sit down for a nice long chat. Uh, but, uh, and Magma starts bragging, then Chrome is like, ah, okay, I'm gonna get you, you magma. And, um, apparently, considering that they have been around for, you know, months, uh, Chrome and Senku did occasionally get a chance to practice, I guess, so that they could actually take part in this tournament properly. I like the little image in the background of Chrome, you know, hitting his suspended target, attacking it in ways that don't even make any fucking sense with the spear. <laughs> uh, um, da, 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 da. Also, Chrome says that he is practicing so that he can hit Magma's weak spot. His junk. <laughs> I love that what they are about this. Like, by weak spot, you mean, yeah, his dick. And, like, uh, Kohaku's like, good strategy. Since the goal is to will down his strength, we should go after his family jewels with a vengeance. <laughs> and, like, just the notion to, like, yes, keep practicing. Perfect your nut shots as much as possible. <laughs> I love how, the, how their craftsman is like, you're taking this brash tomboy thing really far. <laughs> <laughs> I like how that's like the one dirty tactic that they go with where Kaku's like, yes, that's a good idea. <laughs> it's like completely unquestioning. There was the reluctance of, I guess we should cheat. And then they're just like, yeah, that's good. Yeah, you you kick his nuts. Good job. <laughs> right in the nards. Good idea. <laughs> uh, So... They are thinking uh, as they're going in, it's like, hey, you know, the best thing that we could do would be to have uh, Kinro and Magma have be on opposite sides of the tournament ladder. 
And that way we could, you know, just wear Magma down over the course of it so that Kinra can finish him off at the end. So, uh, Suikagila is like, like praying as they're getting ready to arrange the turn and bracket blocks. Like, oh God, please put Kinra and Magma in separate blocks. Let Kohaku battle Magma somewhat soon. Uh, and, uh, it gets drawn up. And immediately the first match of the entire thing is Kinro versus Magma. And there's this group reaction shot of everyone. <laughs> everyone has like this dead faced expression. It looks like they're from a different cartoon. <laughs> and it's, basically it's the worst possible racket that they could have ever come up with. It's, um, so it goes like uh da, 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 Kinro and Magma, then Chrome versus Douchey Goatee Guy, uh who is Stone Magma's Age ally. Stone Age LeFou. Uh Mantle is his name. Then it's uh da, 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 on the opposite side, it's Senku versus Kohaku and Ginro versus some guy. <laughs> <laughs> Brock from Pokemon, it looks like. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, if he shows up, now I know what voice to do for him. <laughs> oh, God. So, yeah, immediately like, well, it's essentially like the top two contenders of the tournament are going up against each other. Great. Um, but Senku's like, oh, well, no luck. A true scientist never includes luck in his calculations, though. So he just says, we'll still, ma- we'll still do what we can. And he starts concocting stuff with chemicals, and he's like, our scheme to win the ground bout includes doping! <laughs> with that. my patent-pending power-up science trick. I love that this series has kind of just become I Show 21. It's just like, our heroes are the most underhanded, insidious, like, tactless group of hair heroes out there. And they're like, now, there's nothing too low for us at this point. <laughs> We will cheat our way up and down this tournament to get ahead. Oh, boy. Um, and uh, apparently he's, like, whipped up this whole batch for them, and then Ginro, like, just eats the whole thing. Like, he's like, I'm sorry, I was so nervous. I've got to be the one to beat Magma if Ginro loses to him, so... Uh... uh he sends off, they send off Suika in order to get more ingredients so that they can make more of their doping stuff. But, um, Mantle, Stone Age LeFou, uh, happens to spot her going along. And just as Magma and uh, Kinra are going to start the first bout of the tournament, she comes running, he comes running across the bridge and he's like, It's awful! Suika was heading to the river to pick some medicinal herbs, but she fell in! She's drowning! You're the quickest one here, Miss Kohaku! If you don't save her, she's a goner! And everyone's like, <gasps> And Suika says, I mean, you're clearly lying. <laughs> but no! No, I was just walking by the river and I saw her! And so Chrome's like, yeah, so if you were just passing by and you saw her, then why do you know why she was down there? And Senka's like, yeah, and if you're after a battle of wits with the science squad, try coming back in 10 billion years, you transparent troglodyte. Ooh. (laughs) Transparent troglodyte. (laughs) Uh, But Kohaka says, hey, I know that he's clearly lying, but there is a tiny chance that Suika actually does need help. 
So what if she is actually drowning? And Senku says, hey, look, if you might end up having to face magma, you know, at the end of this, because like you're if you would be the like the last person in the tournament here. So if you leave now, I don't know. But I was like, I've got the best chance of getting there and getting back. So I've got to, I've got to take this chance. So she rushes off uh, before anyone can really stop her. And uh, immediately, uh, so, like a judge is just like, Haku is scheduled for this third match. So if she doesn't return by then, she is just out. She's just eliminated right away. Which I guess is there going to be either the explanation for how Senku makes it into the second round. So there you go. Um, Magma is immediately like, ha ha ha, good going, Mansell. Good job cheating. <laughs> good thing, boss. And Magma says, with the Kohaku out of the way, none can oppose me. Ruri will be my bride, and the chief's throne is as good as mine. If you're willing to lick my boots, Kinro, you can be my right-hand man. There's always room for a strong fighter on my side. Go ahead now, in front of everyone. Have yourself a lick. Zip. He's putting his foot forward. <laughs> lick my boots. Yeah. Kiss my ass, JR. <laughs> So, Kinro uh, says, your words may ring true, Magma, but I refuse to kneel before you. Because while everyone has their schemes to win this bout, I'm a man who insists on fighting the good fight. Besides, things will go as you've planned. I'm no longer the fighter you know. I must win this fight, for my friend's sake. Unlike you with your dishonorable lust for power, I'm fighting for something far greater. And the chapter ends with them uh, clashing. I like this chapter. It was, this was, this was exciting. This was cool. I mean, the, the Suikas drowning in a river, Kohaku, you need to go save her is like almost an eye roll. Like, it's eye rollingly obviously a lie of some sort, unless this dude like sabotaged Suika or something like that. But I like how the, at least the characters recognize it and Kohaku's just, you know, she, she believes that it's probably a lie, but she's like, if it's not, I'd never be able to forgive myself. So it, it, it's, it's easy to understand why she's willing to almost like let this kind of fall apart. Um, but the matchups are kind of intriguing. Uh, you'll notice that, you know, the, essentially if this, this match is like a one thing kind of victory for, for team science and that's, it's over after this, you know, look at the people on the other side and it's like, oh, the obvious final matchup Senate is either Ginro or Senku versus Magma most likely. And I'd be kind of interested to see like, would Senku face him in the final and have to find some way to use science to defeat somebody who's that much bigger than him? Might be a good opportunity to kind of showcase or foreshadow this eventual clash with Sukasa and the the army of science. Or does Chrome hit Magma in the Nards a whole bunch and somehow beat him? <laughs> That'd be pretty crazy. <laughs> He's like, I just hit him in the nuts 20 times with this mallet and I won. <laughs> Apparently that's all you had to do. <laughs> He's not so invincible. Fighting's easy. <laughs> it's like when it's like when uh when Bobby learns how to fight in King of the Hill from the women's self defense class. <laughs> Beat wins all of his fights by kicking people in the nards and going, "I don't know you." <laughs> all right, it's time for we never learn. 
Yes, we never learned. Question 38 on a clamorous night, X cannot study. So this is uh, our, our token festival chapter of We Never Learn, where all the girls are wearing these, you know, the fancy, what was it? Kimono. Uh, y- y- yukatas. Yukata. Yeah. Yukatas, whatever, yeah. Uh, so yeah, it starts off with uh, Fumino and, and Takamoto wearing them, and Iwiga's like, oh yeah, you both look great, especially you, Furuhashi. It just flat out suits you. You've got the classic Japanese look. And she's like, oh, there he goes, complimenting the wrong girl. And Yuiga's little, like, younger siblings are like, flat out. You know that type, the figure they say is best for the Yukata, right? And I just like how Fumido's like, you shut the fuck up right now, kids. If you finish where this thought is going, I will ruin you. <laughs> but, yeah, uh, Yuiga's mom says, like, oh, honey, go off with your friends. And we essentially then get, like, uh, a collage of Yuiga interacting with the various girls in the series you know, it starts off with Fumino being like, oh, I'm going to head off now, too. So, Yuega, you and Takamoto hang out. And she's, I guess, eating some, like, ice cream, like a slushy of some kind. She's like, look, my tongue's bright pink. And I was like, okay, whatever. And Yuega's like, <laughs> He's like, it's too hot. Uh, and then, But then they run upon uh, Ogata's stand. Uh, their family's restaurant has, like, a, an udon stand. And I guess they're supremely overworked. I don't get how they're this overworked. I guess they're just taking orders for other stands at the festival. But she literally has, like, four enormous bags of food that she's carrying around. And you're just like, how much food, how many stands are there at this place that they're all ordering food from you that you are all delivering at once? (laughs) Regardless, she needs help, so... Takamoto's there to help actually cook, and Yuega and Ogata head out so they can run off and actually do these things. There's a scene of them getting rewarded with a uh, yummy apricot candy that... I guess Ogata's, like... I don't know, she can't figure out how to eat it on her own, so, like, Yuega just holds it out in front, and she just, like, nibbles off of it like a creature. Like, he says, like, she looks like some small creature right now, or something. Uh... He finishes with of course her. it's it's of course drawn kind of like pseudo erotically too. Yeah. It's like it honestly like when I first saw this page I was like this is making me kind of uncomfortable. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's definitely like her like reaching out like oh, oh and just pulling it's like she bit into pure fucking apricot like syrup too like she got none of the actual candy. <laughs> I never had apricot candy before maybe that's how it works I don't know. Uh Along the way, though, Yogata's heading back, and he hears a commotion going on at the sharpshooting range. And he goes over to see a masked femme fatale who is shooting all of the targets and taking all of the prizes. She's wearing, like, a super sentai mask. Yeah. And this it obscures her identity completely. Except Yuega, who is obviously like, what are you, what are you doing, Karasu? <laughs> what are you doing? There's also a really awkward, like, you know, because she takes all the prizes, and they're like, what a mysterious beauty. I want her to shoot me. I want her to step on me. <laughs> okay, dude. Like, Well, there's, there's someone of a... You do you, I guess. <laughs> yeah, I mean, hey, you, you you can have your kink. Go for it, man. I wouldn't, I don't know if I'd shout it out in public like that. That seems like an odd place to do it. But you, hey, you know what? You be you, all right? Uh, it is weird, though, because there's, there's definitely this weird like, different sort of, uh, like, kinkness when it comes to Kirisu. Because even, essentially, she trips after hearing Yuega, like, announce, like, call her out. 
and he, she hurts herself, so she has to get carried on his back. And one of the things he thinks of, like, when he's around her, is like, wow, she smells so mature and sophisticated. It's like, I mean, she looks like she's in her, like, mid-twenties, like, maybe late-twenties, early-thirties. Like, it's not like she's, like, a like a wizened fucking sage or something like that. I don't, I don't know if she develops that different of a scent. Oh, I don't know. Uh, regardless, he has to carry her to the first aid station, where, of course, Asumi Senpai is working. She's helping out her dad, who's running the stand. Uh, and she basically is like, uh, you know, we're short-staffed as it is. A lot of people have been getting hurt at this fucking festival, apparently. <laughs> A lot of people have been hating this her house and full shit. Of idiots. <laughs> uh, so you fucking fix her up and like throws her some shit. Uh, so he, he helps to fix up, you know, Karasu. And then, you know, the doctor's thanking him like, oh, you know, even though your boy, my daughter's boyfriend, you, you troubled yourself to stay at this late hour. And, uh, Sumi's like, well, whispers to him like, oh, I hope the next time there's a festival we can go together. Eh, just kidding. He's like, why do you do this? She's like, I don't know. Bye. <laughs> It's very apparent why, because you mean it's like, hey, hey, hey. Yeah. <laughs> she, it's because you're easy. <laughs> she loves it. She's like, man, this shit's so fucking easy. So, Uega's like, man, I hope I don't miss the last train. Ah, I guess there's there's a little bit more time. But before he gets there, he sees a little girl who's been lost from her, her mom. And uh, he's like, ah, oh, I guess I'm going to have to be the big, you know, the good Samaritan who brings her home. So, you know, Uega brings this little girl, reunites her with... I guess it's supposed to be like her twin sister and mother. Uh, but when the mom's like, where did you go? Where were you? The little girl's like, oh, the big man helped me get here. And then she's like, huh? He's gone. So obviously that girl and the mom are kind of like in their own states of worriedness. But the other sister says, that's funny, Kana. There was a big girl too, just now. A pretty girl helped mama and me find you. And uh, we cut over to the train station where Uega is... Uh, breathing heavily at the train station and then he turns and we see part of a silhouette and then just a reaction of oh what and that's the chapter and i guess maybe this is meant to be like here's potentially the introduction of a new girl or new character into the story i'm guessing Um, that's what i thought too because i was thinking to myself okay which girl is it but then i thought well but he had interactions with all of the girls at the festival. So the only that... like named character wasn't present was Sakijo. And I don't think this is like a reveal they'd be saving for someone like Sakijo, essentially. I guess it's possible. Um, or his older sisters. Uh, and then uh, and then they fall in love at the train station and Chris <laughs> loses the bed. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and I punch a pizza 20 times and say he's a dick. <laughs> I don't have a pizza on the line in this. I only have one. Oh, I would right. have to send you one. You don't get. You don't have to send me one if you're wrong. Sweet. I love these kinds of deals. That's why I keep on trying to get. That's why I keep on trying to get you to agree to one where I would get one. <laughs> and you're like, no. <laughs> I think I'm, you might be right. I'm tactical. I don't know. It seems like this would be a situation where you could potentially introduce a new character. It's late at night. He potentially has missed all of. He's missed all the last trains, so he has no way to get home. How does he get home? You could easily just say this is some new character, someone he knows, something like that. Something that introduces a different element into things. It, it seems like the like setting is right for that sort of thing to happen. I don't think they're going to introduce a new character. 
I wouldn't be surprised, but I don't think so, if only because it's uh, Ayumi got introduced so recently. So I don't think that they would just drop another one like two months after she first showed up. Less than two months, I think, even. But uh, we'll see. All right, from there, we're going to head over to the Promised Neverland. And uh, where the fuck am I? I lost my place. There we go. Anywho, it's uh, Chapter 62, Indestructible Monsters. Last time, a man-eater tried to attack the kids, and the old man uh, shot it. And then he was like, eh, I didn't save you. It regenerated and it called for its friends and now they're really pissed off at you. So good luck. Um, and he explains himself to Ray, who's really upset by saying like, I was bored. So I decided to mix things up a little bit. Anyway, I'm pretty sure you're going to die. Good luck. I'm going to go watch from somewhere safe. Bye. <laughs> I'll save one of you after the other's dead. <laughs> so, uh, Ray kind of takes charge from there. And he's like, all right, we need to get rid of these demons. So, okay, I'm going to make sure that you get your demons, your demon disenchanting powers ready. What? Wait, what? You, wait, wait, all right. All right, you don't have baby notice. You forgot all the magic that was ingrained upon you as a baby. Only I have those. Begone, demons! <laughs> he just throws, like, Molotov cocktails. <laughs> like, it's not really <laughs> magic so much as it is <laughs> weapons of terrorism. No, no, no. You see, the enchantment takes the form of a Molotov cocktail. <laughs> <laughs> it blasts them with holy anti-demon energy. That is just like fire and explosives. <laughs> Must be of a potato, comic. potato. Reminds me of a comic I read a long time ago where uh guy was like, uh, "Dude, why is there a corpse in, in our living room?" He's like, "Oh yeah, a vampire attacked me, so I had to stab him through the through the heart with a stake." He's like. How do you know he was a vampire? Well, because he died when I stabbed him with the wind stake through the heart. Everyone dies when you stab them with the wind stake through the heart. Oh, are you sure? I'm pretty sure it's just vampires. <laughs> uh, it's probably a vampire. Uh, and that man would eventually go on to write The Martian. <laughs> Ray uses his gun to try and shoot the demons, and uh, he's not very good with it. Uh, he keeps on just fucking missing these things as they keep on approaching, despite how giant like, they are. Oh, how about a headshot for where for all this latency? This bullet <laughs> lag is ridiculous. Hacks! Hacks! <laughs> Ray, this is real life. There is no bullet lag. Your shots just missed. Shut up and give me the knife. That way I can run faster. Oh, I can't do anything with this hit scan weapon. <laughs> uh, he instructs Emma to take out the special pistol and tells her to use the green bullet, which shoots out a net at their pursuing man-eaters, and it gets them all tangled up. And uh, the old man, as he is observing them, realizes that they're using a special pistol, which can shoot flash bombs, tear gas, net traps, and something sonic. Interesting. Thank God in this arsenal of weapons, there was one Batman pistol, I guess, to use. <laughs> I understand. The, I can understand, you know, tiny tear gas pellets... Oh, I get it. I don't it. know how a flashbang would survive being shot from a gun. Neck gun, sure. Something sonic. I, I get it. Like, I get it in premise. Like, they're all somewhat understandable things. It's just amusing to me that in that arsenal was, like, this plethora of conventional weapons, a bazooka, knives, all this. And then there was just one fucking, like, 
comic book pistol that shoots out like boxing gloves and fucking like taser arrows and shit. <laughs> like there's just one crazy goofy weapon in there. Uh, the old man's like, okay, so they're basically just trying to escape at this point. All right. Uh, but they've only bought themselves a couple of minutes. And, uh, as Emma looks over her shoulder, she actually realized the main ears are eating each other. Good. And, uh, quickly enough, they break free, continue pursuing after them. Ray is trying to shoot at them as they run. It's like, oh, I got that, but they nerfed it! Why do they have to get- balance gameplay my ass? <laughs> Jeff Kaplan, please! Says he's being eaten. Why? <laughs> Rito! Plus! And even if he does actually manage to land shots properly, they just kind of regenerate the damage. So they have, they're like, okay, well, what are we going to do? Even if we're making smart decisions, we can't do anything. And, uh, the old man, it's like, yeah, it's all futile as a man eater comes up on him from behind and he lifts up his gun and without even looking, just shoots it in the head and it falls out of the tree. That's pretty cool. And uh, he says, yep, it's all useless unless you kill them. Unless you can kill them. Otherwise, it's a waste of bullets. Ray realizes that they're really, really, really in a bad situation, especially because uh, he's been shooting at these guys and he's basically eaten through like 40% of his ammo, of all the ammo that they brought with them. And it's done absolutely nothing for them. Um, But as he thinks, because they, you know, they're continuing to pursue after he and Emma. Like, okay, it's like they're indestructible, but no, they're not, because that one died. And when Sanji was giving us the history on humans and demons, I realized the demons can be killed, even the technology that humans had a thousand years ago, which means that we must have a way to kill them, too. But how? Is it by chopping out their heads? No, because, of course, he saw that, you know, the old man blew off the previous one's head and it regenerated from that. So where's their weakness? And he finally realizes, uh, oh, right, they wear masks. And the masks are in order to hide their eyes from sight so that their vulnerability isn't exposed. And he shouts out to Emma to use her bow and arrow to shoot at the eye in the middle of the one closest to his face. And she fucking headshots the thing. Nice big dramatic moment. I like the way it looks. Yes. And it falls dead. And they're like, oh. So that regenerating. Okay, good. We know what to do now. And uh, they say, okay, so we're gonna still try and escape. We're just gonna lead them into territory where they where they'll go up against a different species and use that chest to escape. But now we know that we can at least kill them in order to get some space. And uh, finally, they manage to get to safety, exhausted but triumphant. And the old man's like, ah, good job. Yeah. <laughs> um. And then there's just kind of a reiteration of, it's going to be really tough. We already used up a bunch of ammunition getting away from these guys, but we can actually do it. We can, we, we can do this. And that's the end of the chapter, basically. Yeah. I mean, we, we mentioned like the past few weeks, I haven't had a ton of content within them, but I like this one a lot. I mean, we, you know, we got some tension there of like, we're firing and it's not killing them. What do we have to do to take these things out? You got that calm cocky attitude from the nameless guy just watching on being like yes yes keep trying you'll die soon enough um it's a pretty satisfying kind of chapter and you know i like the tension they're saying up of like it's still gonna take four days to get there and we've already used like 
a third of our ammunition at this point. You know, it's just, it's, it's a cool tension builder. Yeah. Um, it was nice to have, uh, some kind of progress, I guess you could say, uh, from the previous couple of chapters. It's still really weird to have the promise Neverland be just a more straight up action, uh, series. And I'm curious to see if this is just going to be like a kind of temporary, thing or if it's going to transition more fully into a combat series as we go forward. It seems to still be leaning towards not going full combat. Even with the like the goofy Batman pistol that they found, it's still, you know, like they're counting out the number of bullets they have left. It was a lot more of like the how do we take this thing down? It's not dying sort of thing. Emma, Ray, you never should have left the Batcave without the man-eater repellent spray. <laughs> Not a great Adam West. I'm sorry. I'm ashamed by you. Okay, you want me to do a really good Adam, Adam West? Here we go. Oh, that's... He was a fucking national treasure, you hideous <laughs> monster. <laughs> you provoked me. <laughs> R.I.P. Okay. Right, let's move on then to Seven Deadly Sins, Chapter 242. The end of the Seven Deadly Sins. All right, guys, we're at the end of Seven no, last Deadly chapter. Sins, this November. Is, uh, this is now Seven November Deadly Sin Novembers. Yeah. <laughs> no Evan Deadly Ember Sins Month. Uh, so it starts off with uh, all the characters kind of waking up and, and recognizing what's happened. They They talk about, you know... The first fairy king and the king of the giants, how they sacrifice themselves to get here and trying to figure out exactly where the characters are at this point. You know, there's a moment when Merlin realizes what happened to Galther and she's like, he tried to defy the absolute order. He'd have been dead if he were human. Uh, you know, and Diane has things pretty rough and I've turned into this pathetic child. And uh, Escanar is like, oh, are you going to revert soon? I it's weird for me to have feelings for a child, I think. And then he starts coughing up because I, I think he's dying. I don't know. Uh, all the deadly sins are in pretty bad spots at this point, basically. Like, all of them <laughs> are pretty hurt, either emotionally or physically in some way. Uh, and they, Escanar kind of notes, uh, well, actually, rather, uh, it's Merlin who notes, rather, that the vapors being released by Melodius are his negative energies growing stronger by the moment, and it's kind of affecting everybody. So Elizabeth's like, I'll take him outside for some fresh air. Um, yeah, that'll help. Yeah, sure. <laughs> uh, Escanar kind of like tries to, you know, deny that anything's happening. He's like, oh, just a little coughing fit. As you can see, I'm still in tip-top shape, I am. And uh, says, you know, it's, let's prioritize getting Merlin's magic back. But where's Bon? I don't see Bon anywhere. And we cut over to Bon, who is with Elaine, who is back in her bed. Bead, uh, I guess she's still dying. I'm not in incredibly sure if, if that's the case. I assume so. Uh, because Bon has kind of a stoic look on his face, but, uh, Elaine's pretty, uh, optimistic about that, uh, saying, you know, it's nothing for you to worry about. Um, and I'm, I'm not going to complain anymore. I'm going to do everything I can for you. You know, they're sharing a, a sentiment with one another. I guess this is meant to suggest that. The situation is growing more gray for her. Uh, but we cut back, and there's also a very short moment where uh, uh, Elizabeth says to Melodia, said, I'll always be here for you. And then Merlin's back to normal, and she made Diane back to normal. I guess she just needed to find this one orbit to fix, like, three problems at once, and she did. Uh, Gouther is also 
No, never mind. Sorry, that's Hawk. I guess he's talking over there. So Gauther's still unconscious, but Merlin's back to her original form and Diane's no longer tiny. And everyone's like, all right, so let's come up with a plan on how to defeat Chandler. We just have to make sure we figure it out before we get... Oh, fuck, he's here. God damn it. Damn it, damn it, damn it. Like, they already sense, like, he just bolted over there. And when they go outside, not only that, they open the door and they find that Chandler is kneeling and crying because Chandler is a very emotional, tough man. And uh, Melodius is there floating in the air holding Elizabeth. And he is in his, uh, his Ten Commandments form. And uh, apparently he woke up at his obviously the worst possible time. And Bond screams out to him, like, no, you can't do this. You're part of the seven deadly sins. You're the seven, you're the dragon sin of wrath, Melodius. And Melodius is like, ah, yes, Bond. I remember everything. We were such valued friends. Ah, very good. Chandler, show me Zeldris. Chandler will take care of things from here now. And, uh, basically, Melodius seems to be turning over to the Ten Commandments side right now. But he's not turning like full heel he's not he's not gonna hit seth rollins in the back with the or uh, dean ambrose in the back with a chair or i guess it was roman reigns who got hit with the chair i don't remember we gotta do it with one arm dean <laughs> um uh, well he also explains himself because he says hey you know elizabeth remembers who she is so she's out of time but i have a way to save her yeah and everyone's like what do you how, how can you do and he's like sorry but it's no longer concerns you I don't want to have to kill you. As of today, the seven deadly sins are no more. That is the chapter. Apparently the next chapter is called, And Then He Leaves on a Trip. I hope it's Chandler. <laughs> I hope that's what they just cut out. And then Chandler leaves on a trip. And it's like the most tense, exciting chapter of all time. That's a fine chapter. There's nothing really too much to say on this. Like, Melodius wakes up and is evil. There's a few, like, small moments here to build tension between the other characters. So it feels like almost everyone in Seven Deadly Sins is falling apart in some physical or mental way at this point. But, uh, no, it's exciting in its own ways, but nothing, like, groundbreaking. It's, um, it's a transition chapter. Uh, you know, kind of a cool down from the big fights that we've gotten recently and the, you know, deaths that we just had last chapter into the next stretch of this arc, which seems to be the uh, rest of the Seven Deadly Sins having to actually oppose Meliodas for a little bit. And uh, plus, this way, because uh, he is heading off with Elizabeth and Meliodas, uh, we get more Chandler! He's, yeah. uh, not, he, he's, he's not going to the... be defeated uh, incredibly soon. So prepare for the horrible reign of Chandler the Demon! <laughs> Could I be any more terrifying? <laughs> Apparently. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's like, no, I actually can be. So, yeah, uh, good stuff. Look forward to, to more. All right. Yeah. Black Clover. Is that you preemptively revolting out any yeah. good taste in your mouth? Page 132, the victors. Oh. You know, until last chapter, this tournament was going so well. <laughs> it was going so well. Uh we had character development. We had some exciting fights. We had a cool character that we were getting to know. There were a lot of like smaller side characters that were starting mm -hmm. to get their focus. Mm -hmm. It was kind of cool. But uh, you know, you got to make Roman Reigns look strong. Um, oh so shit! This this isn't even Roman Reigns. I don't know no. who this guy is. <laughs> this is this is like 
WrestleTron 5000 or something. Like, it, it's a person that is born without a personality. This is like if instead of Jason Jordan just being Kurt Angle's son and getting kind of a mid-card singles push, he was immediately just, like, world champion uh, a few months ago. Like, <laughs> this is ridiculous. This is gender winning the championship. <laughs> and losing the championship. Um, all right. So, it's the final match with uh, Yuno's team. Against no, what am I? Who am I even fucking kidding me? It's not even a team competition. It's, this is not a team I, I, competition. Yeah. There is no teamwork involved here. I, I think you. I don't know if you actually legitimately see the other two characters in either team do anything aside from them noting like you go on offense, will defend, or you know whatever you know interpretation of that there is. There's there's like nothing else between them. Okay. So, it's, uh, Noel and, uh, N, I think was his name or something like that. Yeah. Something weird. It's N. Uh, are defending against, uh, Painty McDeer dude's, uh, teammates while Painty McDeer dude is handling the defense while confronting Yuno. We don't get to see anything that Noel and N are doing. We see that Noel is kind of using her Sea Dragon's Lair to cover the crystal and a shield, and then they're just like, we must defend! And that's it. Cut away. We have important things to do. So we just kind of get a recap of their confrontation thus far, which is that Yuno is handling, is casting a whole bunch of very powerful spells, and Rill is just like, Rill is becoming more and more infuriating with every day. I don't know why, but I every part of me hates the panel where he's just like. Ah! Like, is this what is like? Is this how he handles himself when he's fighting and things? Like, he just like leans back and just like, ah! <laughs> fucking hate this dude. Satellite of love. He's in such the chat. a fucking dork. Satellite of love in the chat says it's a real competition. I I don't approve of bullying, but if this person was real, I would bully the shit out of him every day because he is too much of a fucking nerd. Okay. Okay. Like, I just, so, I want to, like, put a toilet into this series somewhere so I can fucking dunk his face into it. <laughs> Behold my magic. Toilet magic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just... <laughs> <laughs> Toilet-style magic. Swirly McFoyly. <laughs> That's all my magic does is give Swirly's this one dude. He uses a bunch of he uses a bunch of different spells with different incantations, but it's all just different types of swirlies. It's, and it's only to just counter this one dude That's and real. dunk his head into a toilet. It doesn't work against anyone else. That's fine. I don't want to bully them. I just this kid. I mean, you have to start it off by like taking uh, his his wand away and throwing it in the toilet, so he'll reach in after it, and then you dunk him. Yeah, so. I'm like, uh oh, I dropped your wand to the toilet. Oh, go get. <laughs> Uh, so, you know, realizes that nothing is working because real is just fucking stealing his fucking paintings. And so he's like, all right, Bell, we're doing that. And, uh, he 
thinks to himself as he's using his new ace technique, my experience controlling mana and my mana skin training, helped me discover a technique that lets me hold vast amounts of controlled mana inside myself. I was planning to use this in the finals against Asta, but you're a brigade captain, a worthy opponent. And then there's a really weird moment where Bell goes, I'm becoming one with you know. I can't get enough of this feeling. Are they having sex? Is that what they're doing? I mean, is that what this is supposed to be? No, I mean, I have seen manga or anime with that uh, attitude, and uh, it's it's similar on that vein. But I, I like, here's the thing: so Black Clover has a lot of like the oh, a bunch of characters like have feelings for each other, cutesiness. But anytime it starts to actually delve into it, it always gets really kind of weird and creepy. Like there's like the notions of when Asta starts actually thinking about the sister, and it starts to get kind of creepy. Mm-hmm. And then there's like the stuff with uh with Gauche and his sister that sometimes goes a little too far and gets a little weird. And then there's Belle here, who to this point is just like, oh, she has a crush on Yudo because he's fucking perfect. But then like, oh, we're gonna bond spirits together, and she's just like, oh, oh, please be gentle with me, Senpai, or something like that. You're just like, oh, this is a little creepy. <laughs> After this chapter, they're gonna have like some celebratory buffet and. Charmy is going to like be thinking about her crush on Yuno, and she's going to like be deep throating popsicles or something like that. Uh. So, but Yuno, yes, yeah, says like I refined the technique of mana tuning all that stuff so that I could hold the spirit's power as well. And there's a big glowy uh, thing, and he thinks as he's doing it, Asta, I'm going to pull far ahead of you in one move. The one who will win against you. And he looks like a fairy king. Like he's got like a literal like ring of aura stuff forming a crown. It's not the worst thing I've ever seen, honestly, but I think it looks a little, a little silly. Um, I get it. It could I look mean, a lot worse though. <laughs> in, in this series, I think it fits aesthetically. So it looks kind of cool. Um, but yeah. Everyone's like, holy shit, he's a one-winged fairy angel thing. And Rilla's like, that's amazing, you know. Right now, I think I can draw anything. And he summons this weird demon dragon with boobs thing. He's Grammy. He's fucking Grammy now. We've we've established now that this character's potential in combat is apparently only limited to what his fucking imagination can paint. And he's like, with no restrictions on me, I feel I can paint anything in fucking imagination's existence, and I painted a dragon with tits. <laughs> and that's it. <laughs> Fuck you, Rill. You suck. <laughs> so, from there, they just kind of have their Kamehameha Galligan beam battle. This is like garbage! It's terrible! <laughs> and as they're doing this, uh, Asta is watching the match uh, from his, you know, the hospital wing, essentially. Uh, and, you know, Real's like, this is phenomenal! Who'd have thought that I being able to exchange blows of armor would make me this happy? And you just thinking the same thing. Like, ah, this is awesome! And everyone, and I'm like, this is lame! <laughs> Um, and, uh, then Mimosa, who is treating Asta, looks down and realizes that he is basically on the verge of tears. He's covering his face and is scolding himself and Asta is saying, why aren't I the one out there fighting, you know, which 
is probably the only good moment of the chapter, in my opinion. This is legitimately a good moment, and I like it that we're, like, I guess maybe this is the context you need to take Asta in, because this makes me like Asta. Like, this is something that I'm like, yeah, I hope he does work harder and he manages to overcome the next challenge. Like, when you put an obstacle in front of Asta's way, and you show somebody who doesn't need to like really seem to work for anything like that's sort of i know you know also did the fucking volcano challenge and shit but i mean this is a dude who's apparently been blessed by mana got the four leaf clover which nobody you know rarely gets and he's just like oh i can go up against a captain in my first year and asta is like i worked my you know i've been working here to get here i i battled for my friend and still lost in that match or tied in that match whatever and he has to sit there and watch us his you know his his main rival was now having this epic confrontation. Like, it makes me like Aster's journey more. And maybe it needs someone like, you know, who is just this fucking unlikable, like, stoic vampire of awesomeness who just keeps <laughs> winning at everything to be somebody that Asta has to chase after, like, legitimately chase after. And it's kind of weird because they're, like, best friends still. It would be a little bit different if this was, like, more like a Naruto Sasuke. Like, their only connection is that they're both chasing after kind of like the same goal but like this makes Aster's journey more relatable to me mm. so being battle continues you know it's like i'm gonna win i'm gonna beat this magic knight's captain guy and real is like let's draw it together the ultimate painting oh And then he breaks his fucking crystal because he's stupid. He's a big, stupid doofus. The crystal behind him shatters and all of the onlookers declare he blew it up with his own magic. Captain Rail destroyed his stupid. own team's crystal. Which means that the team of N, Uno, and Noel win the tournament. They win. Now, glad Noel won. Fuck this real with a lame. fork. With this a is lame. With a giant fork made out of broken glass and fucking skunk urine. I just, this dude is awful. I mean, I knew, I pretty much kind of had a feeling from the beginning that Yuno's team was probably going to be the winners, but this is lame. Like, I mean... He, he beats Rill, but it's only because Rill is so powerful that he can't control the immense waves of mana coming off his body, and he broke his own crystal. He's just that powerful, guys. I guess his team is also that fucking worthless that neither of them were like, hey, Rill, couple steps forward. Move, or move forward like about three feet. Yeah, or he was just good. maniacally cackling too much for him to even hear it. <laughs> yeah. Look, it, it would have been a satisfying thing if Yuno overcame Rill, but it, you know, it showed that he had growth, but to actually overcome a captain, maybe he required the teamwork of a fellow team member, and there's a huge, like, member in that in Noel who has a ton of significance. Like, the fact that Noel's part of his team and does nothing in the final match at all, it was just a giant, you know, DBZ-style beam fight between these two characters, it's just weird and anticlimactic for a tournament that was like 
giving us glimpses and showing us these side stories for all these like numerous different characters we just kind of met to then be like, all right, well, it all boils down to a giant beam fight between the two strongest characters in the tournament and the other ones. Who cares? It's just, it's kind of deflating. Now, if you read the actual end of the, uh, the magazine this week, they preview next week and it mentions that there's going to be like a selection for this Magic Knights team based on people who will compete in this. So presumably there's a chance for, you know, accolades to be given to the people who didn't actually win and things like that. Most so. improved. <laughs> well, like they'll set up like a team and they're like you, like the away team in, in, in World Trigger kind of thing. They're like, you get to be on, yeah, like, we're going to put you on uh, fucking um, uh, Zer, uh, Zerks Lesnar. No, Zerk Lesnar? <laughs> I couldn't remember his fucking Zerk Lugner or whatever, because you showed such, like, sharp thinking and tactics that were surprising or whatever. And, you know, they could, they can give, you know, praise to the, the other characters who didn't win the whole fight. Um, but, like, in this, in this moment, you're just like, this is, like, a WrestleMania that ended with, like, a DQ finish, it feels like, or something like that. It's just, it's such an underwhelming anti-climax <laughs> that you're just like, oh, come the fuck on, dude. This, in general, I think that this arc with this tournament was pretty darn good. But it ended on the worst two matches, and the last one was the lamest by far. Because it was completely contrary to everything that this was supposed to be about. They made a big deal out of, you know, you're supposed to work with your teammates. That was the whole point of Asta and company taking on Langris because, you know, they overcame his absurd individual power through teamwork and combining their efforts together and coordinating their attacks. And then real one shot an entire team by himself. And then the finale is real and, you know, go mano a mano. And that's it. Mm. Sucks. And real is stupid. Okay. <sighs> Let's go on to One Piece. <laughs> Finish on on a positive note, maybe. Okay, chapter 884. Who is that? Last time... This is the chapter where we introduce the newest Ma son of uh, Big Mom's group, Rill, Charlotte Rill. Ah! <laughs> I cook and beat you all. Last time, Luffy was able to land a hit in on Katakuri, socked him one good, punched him with his Kong gun, and locked him, knocked him through a wall. And uh, Luffy explains what he has realized in this at the beginning of this chapter, which is, I thought you were invincible, because Armin Hockey is supposed to be the power to hit your solid form. It's supposed to be able to work on Logia powers, but my punches went right through you, so I thought they weren't working. But I was wrong. My attacks can hit you. And he demonstrates this by sucking Katakuri right across the face. And he says, like, yeah, so your Armin defense that was really powerful before you can't actually go power for power against gear four. It's your mochi, it's not your mochi powers that are so great. It's your color of observation. And he kicks, uh, Kakuri across the ground. Kakuri gets a little bit of distance and kind of recovers. Uh, cause when Luffy tries to use his Kong organ, 
which is, you know, his gear four equivalent of, uh, Gatling, uh, Kakuri dissolves his body out of the way of the blows. And Kakuri says, yes. So you, you're right. I'm just reforming my ability, my body to dodge your attacks. And it's possible if you can see the future using hockey by losing my grip and getting a bit excited, I allowed you the opportunity to attack. You need to be properly calm for observation cocky to work. And Luffy tries to throw a punch, and he just grows a hole in his stomach and dodges it that way. But uh, he acknowledges Luffy's abilities, and he says, yeah, I'm, I'm beginning to understand how it was that my brother Cracker was defeated. So, in order to counter, Kadakur uses his new tech next technique, Unstoppable Donuts! <laughs> I love that Luffy's reaction to this, too, is like, Hey! Those aren't mochi! <laughs> it's just like, you're supposed to use mochi attacks! Donuts aren't mochi! And I freaking love this next thing he does, because he summons these gigantic arms out of mochi in the air, and coats them with arm and hockey, and punches Luffy right in the fucking stomach with remote arms! <laughs> It's cool. It's They've fucking... gotten a ton of fucking mileage out of mochi powers. <laughs> so he punches Luffy into the goddamn wall and says, I won't be giving you that opening again. We're back to the starting point. This fight's still going on. Holy crap. Uh, we cut away from there to Cacao Island to where uh, Pound has, I guess, realized where Chiffon is, uh, is now outside of the sweets factory where she and Pudding and Sanji are trying to make the wedding cake. And she's like, oh, please, I want to know. I will. Come on, let me see. Let me see my daughter. I'm really getting annoyed with this guy, if, it does, if it's not clear. I like Pound. I'm getting really annoyed with him. <laughs> so... Uh, the three chefs, you know, kind of hear a little bit of a, uh, scuffle going on, commotion going on outside. Um, but, uh, then they get a word from, uh, a Dindin Mushi that the straw hats are going to show up at Cacao Island, uh, where they are. And Sanji's like, wait, what? They're, they're coming here? Oh boy. Uh, then we see, uh, da, 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 da. we see, uh, fuck, what was it? Brulee. That was it. Reporting to, I guess she's just on the, de yeah, she's on the Denden Mushi. I don't know where she actually is though. Oh, she's also in the mirror world. Yeah. Okay. It's a little hard, it's a little hard to tell with the location sometimes when they're in tiny panels. Kind of need a bigger view of things sometimes in one piece. Uh, she kind of just repeats information that we already know, and she kind of wraps it up by saying, don't worry, the other Straw Hats won't be any match for my, for her brother Oven and his forces, and they're already over there. And Charlotte Oven, the fourth son of the Charlotte Minister of Baking, appears. And he's like, my hair is the most ridiculous yet in this arc. Look at that shit. How do, how do you get your hair that way? Lots of wax. <laughs> that, or he grows his hair out like like a full kind of like uh you know sideways like or I guess like a diamond, and then he just has somebody shoot through it in like two perfect <laughs> angles, and he's like ah perfect now. Oh. Um. 
Oven, of course, you know, is her is hearing all the commotion that Pound is causing. So he's he's like, I'm what the fuck's going on over here? Um, da, 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 da. Pudding says, you know, that she's worried because Luffy is fighting Kakuri and he's got a billion berry bounty. He's never lost a fight in his life. And Sanji just says, well, there's a first time for everything. And it looks like today's his unlucky day. Don't worry. Let's just make that cake and putting him in. He's like, ah, you're so hot. So, um, but then something, uh, unexpected and important happens because, uh, there is a word that they get that every last territory sea slug in the area is gone, which is causing, uh, Peckham's and, uh, the other people with him, which includes, of course, Mark Wahlberg, uh, to panic. Um, now, was there, I've forgotten something here, Chris, I bet, okay. because do, are these territory sea slugs important for some yes. reason? Remember they, when they first came to the island, they noted that the territory slugs would alert any, like would alert Big Mom's group to anything that would happen in the area. So it's why traveling around through this arc has been very difficult for them. They had to kind of get sn- uh, like snuck in through Peckham's at the start. And then, you know, they kind of had to navigate in a long way around otherwise and why they haven't been able to just kind of move freely. Uh, the territory slugs kind of alert to everyone and, and would make it impossible to just purely escape. But by all the slugs being moved now, it means the Straw Hats can move, like, just completely free and unimpeded into wherever Sanji is. And they won't know when, how close they are, when they're about to get there, anything like that. It, it basically means that where they are and any other factors, like anyone else in Saria, are all unknowns now. And I had completely forgot all of this. So. <laughs> but we see that the reason that all of the sea slugs are gone is because they have been enchanted by Praline, uh, who is singing them a song and luring them towards her. Praline being uh, Big Mom's fishman daughter who had uh, defected against her outside of her knowledge. And yeah, that's the end of the chapter. I like this. I like this twist uh, because it's one of those you could tell Oda set up a while back. You know, we hadn't have any real reason for why he mentioned there was like a fishman trader in their army outside of like, oh, and then she's gonna show up and help the the crew out. We we know like Jinbei had gone out for some some help at one point prior to this, so it's it's kind of cool to see this come together. And it's one element that's kind of popped into. Uh, how the characters are going to like, like the first turnabout of many to help the, the straw hats kind of come out victorious here. So I dug it. That's it. That's a week of Margarita for this week. So, uh, let's name our favorites. My chapter of the week will go to Astra. Uh, mm-hmm. I think this is a really good chapter for Astra. There were some other decent chapters this week, but I think Astra it, was a, it felt like a really long chapter of Astro, too. I wonder if it was... It was like, a long chapter of Astro. Yeah. It was like 30 pages. So, obviously, it was a very significant chapter for Astro, and it, it felt like it. It really kind of told its story and did it in a very satisfying and complete manner. I'm also going to give it to uh, Astro because it was an awesome chapter uh, from beginning to end. Very dramatic. Had an unexpected twist. And, uh, yes, good. 
And then my character week's going to go to Rill because he's so great. He's so cool. I'm going to punch you. He blew up his own crystal because he's so powerful. Because <laughs> he's so great. He's just that amazing. He's, he's so amazing. great that he goes around to incompetent. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, he's so carefree. He just fucking wandered into a tournament that anyone asking. No, I'm going to give it to uh, Kanata because he had a pretty cool sacrifice there. Uh, reminding why he's a good kind of leader of that group and, uh, Remind me also that I forgot to put him in the, the nomination for the Superlative Awards for Best Hero of the 2017. He definitely deserves a spot in there because he's, he's been pulling his weight there, definitely. I'm also going to go for Kanata. He really just seems like an obvious pick at this point because in terms of just, like, character moments, there weren't a whole lot of big standouts this week. Uh, so I, I think that it uh, just kind of goes to him and uh, kind of... Reminds you that, oh yeah, he is the protagonist of this series, isn't he? <laughs> it's a little easier to forget with the kind of ensemble approach to it, but actually in, apparently like the Japanese title of the series is Kanata no Astra. So it, sense, it, I guess. his name is actually in the title of whatever. But yeah, good stuff. All right. That is going to do it for Weekly Manga Recap. Thank you for joining us, everybody, here on Smashcast.tv slash RolloT and Twitch.tv slash RolloT, where we record the show, generally speaking, Wednesday nights at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Uh, sometimes we need to change that up, so to stay updated, you can follow us on social media, on Twitter. The official podcast account is at WMR Podcast, and your hosts are at RolloT and at Ruler of Time. We also wanted to uh, give a special thanks to all of our Patreon supporters. Your support gives allows us to do all sorts of bonus things for you to for you to check out. We did a showdown for the bonus episode for this month, which ended in a very narrow victory thus far for Chris. That is almost a draw. You, uh, that's kind of one of those things where it's like I kind of have to like demand a rematch because it's, it was so close. I would say at this point, uh, there's a rubber band match now. For our best of three. This is like uh, Kenny Omega versus that dude from Japan who I don't remember. Kazuchika <laughs> Okada. Yeah, Okada. This is our Omega Kanata. It was the closest we're going to get to the hour-long draw uh, at, the, at this point, I think. Got roughly the same number of votes. Last time I won pretty handily, and this time you edged me out. I think that I got too angry over the Shield 21 <laughs> thing. Spoilers. Uh, <laughs> for those of you who haven't checked it out. Um... We will also be doing something pretty soon. I think we've got to do something tomorrow morning, actually. Yeah, yeah we're going to be doing something tomorrow morning. One. So if you're listening live, <laughs> set your alarms. Yeah. like I'm It's going to be basically it. like 7.30 Eastern or something like that. Um, yeah, you can check out uh, commentaries that we do, Q&A episodes, and all sorts of stuff. All thanks to your support. Thank you so much for that. Uh, you can also check us out uh, if you want to check out more Weekly Manga Recap. We have more episodes on weeklymangarecap.podbean.com as well as on our YouTube channel and on iTunes. Be sure to give us a rating, subscription, comment, and all that good stuff to help us become kings of the hobby section and defeat our eternal rivals, the wordworking podcasts, that have acknowledged us and have acknowledged that we are a threat to their empire. Yes. Totally the real woodworking alliance of podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> but really, though, like, we do need people to go out and uh, put in uh, reviews and, and give us a five star review on iTunes. It, it takes only a couple moments, guys. If you're if you're looking to support the show, if you enjoy listening to Weekly Manga Recap, and you're like, "Hey, I'm broke as shit, guys. I can't help you out financially. Totally understand that." If you have three minutes to spare. 
go on to iTunes and give us a five star review. It helps us out immensely because uh, there's 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 podcasts out there that eclipse us monumentally on the iTunes charts, and I think it's solely just because they have a lot more reviews and and stuff like that. So come on, we got to be at least one of the woodworkers, right? <laughs> we can't lose them all. One of the best ways to support to support the podcast is just to show it to somebody who you think will enjoy it. So. And, uh, of course, if you want to send us feedback, ask us questions for a future episode of our Q&A, or to suggest a manga for us to read in the future, you can send all that stuff via email to weeklymangarecap at yahoo.com, and we will see that message, and we will potentially check out a series that you want us to read. Or we'll tell you that we've already reviewed it and point you to an episode. Yes. And uh, lastly, a special thanks to the people who help make the podcast possible. Uh, Steve Mann, our tile card artist, you can check out his work on a bunch of different places. Uh, all of the tile cards he's made for Weekly Mug Recap are available for free on patreon.com slash <coughs> Steve Mann. Sorry. <laughs> this is a big dramatic buildup. Be, for, be forewarned that if you do want to end up uh, wanting to support him, he does primarily a bunch of uh, NSFW stuff. And, uh, of course, uh, Infamous Planet. Thank you. And uh, that's it. Yes. We're done. Close the episode. Okay. Just, uh. Before I injure my fingers again.